Well, so first off, um, just tell me your name and, and where you're from, mm-hmm. and, then, and then maybe how you, how you came to Kijabi. Okay. So my name is Rebecca Dufe. I come from Nairobi. How I ended up here, <laughs> in 2020, there was an ad for anesthesia residency. And I was like, this is my opportunity <laughs> to first of all start residency, but I'd always wanted to work in Kijabe since I was training as a medical officer. So I applied, I interviewed, and though COVID really interrupted the process, we were admitted, me and my classmate units, and I started here this year in January. Mm. Yeah. And so where were you at that time? Um, that time I was working part-time for, um, a private hospital. Mm-hmm. So when COVID started, uh, I took the opportunity. Okay. I'd always wanted to know about public health. So I resigned from a medical practice job and I volunteered at a public health kind of position where I was kind of just collecting data about COVID, um, creating educational material for non-medical people uh, just to collect information about COVID to guide like how to adapt to the new normal. Um, So that was for about a year and a half and then now once I applied, when I started looking for residencies, I went back to medical practice at least just to keep the skills (laughs) um, sharp. So I started working as a, on a local basis at a private hospital, now at Avenue Hospital. Mm-hmm. But that one I was mainly working as outpatient. Mm-hmm. So I was seeing a lot of different things. But I think it was a good way to kind of get me back from mm-hmm. public health yeah. and into medical practice. That's awesome, though. This is probably jumping way ahead of where I wanted to go, but mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. Have you, have you been part of any research things at Kajabi? I feel like um, Dr. Kynes always has some sort of research thing going Actually, recently we did, uh, we took part in an ESOSPIDS study where we were... What does that stand for? Um, surgical outcomes in surgery, something. Okay. Something. Yeah. So it was just about like, what are the surgical, the immediate surgical outcomes for, but now it was in, a pediatric, in the pediatric population, whereby now after any given surgery for PIDS patients, we would follow them up for... 30 days or until they were discharged, just to see like for whatever surgery they've gotten, have there been any complications and what the complications were. So personally, I was just a data collector, but I thought it was interesting just to participate. In our medical schools, we don't get too much experience with research, at least in my school. So even if it was just data collection, I felt very <laughs> excited to be part of it. Um, there are a lot of other things we're discussing about starting probably from January, just ways that we can improve theater and make things better to improve like recovery after surgery for our patients. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what have you seen in your time at Kajabi? I know mm-hmm. you're still newer, but you've done a lot of work in a yeah. year. So what is, what is life like in theater? What is life like as an anesthesiologist? It's a... Uh, it's actually very exciting. I'm really enjoying it. There are days like it's a bit tiring, obviously, because there's a lot of work. We see we do a lot of surgeries, um, and you kind of realize like even with the many anesthetists we have, even with us and a bunch of anesthetist students, 
the need is so heavy for more practitioners who do anesthesia so you know with a full list of surgeries you still we still feel overwhelmed um and considering i'm not even done yet i'm not an anesthesiologist and i'm feeling the burden i can't imagine how dr greg and dr matt feel honestly like the pressure must be so heavy um but it's a very fulfilling line of work um i think we participate so heavily on like patients um well-being i mean there's the putting people to sleep and waking them up but i think when just telling someone like you'll be fine you know this is someone is about to cut you open but it's okay i'm here you know i'm right behind you you know there's such an emotional aspect that people don't think about when they think of anesthesia and we are doing a lot outside of just medical practice so i've realized like it's a very holistic line of medicine it needs a lot of heart it needs a lot of even just that people skills of being patient with someone being able to talk to someone um and then obviously now the anesthesia skills themselves because you mean you want to put someone to sleep and wake them up fine so i don't know it's very it's very engaging it engages your mind it engages your heart um there are days you have sad days you know when a surgery doesn't go well but i'd say most of the time we have very good days so i'd say it's a very fulfilling line of work yeah i'm very happy with my choice <laughs> that's awesome yeah it's so true because usually usually i'm not on your end of the drape when i walk into the yeah. theater but it I'm often surprised. I walk over there and realize, oh, this patient is awake because yeah. they'll be ch chatting with you guys. Yeah. You know, the, if they're doing if they're doing local, you know, they can they can chat with you. They can't really see or talk to the surgeon, mm -hmm. but you you have to be you have to be present, present for them. Yeah, I mean, I know it's interesting as the as the first class of of a program. I mean, this is it's a big deal. What do you hope will happen? You know, in your, in your coming years and maybe even after after your time in Kijabi, mm -hmm. um, as far as just anesthesia training. Well, obviously, I'd love it to expand and expand and expand because the need is there. But I'm excited to participate in teaching as well. Um, I think when you have good teaching, you have good practice. When you have good practice, like it means safe care for patients. So I think if every doctor who i mean if it's a skill that you have if you're trained to teach those younger than you i mean it's even biblical that you should teach you know i mean it's good to disciple each other based on biblical principles but even the skills that we have i think it is good stewardship to teach it so personally like even as they're taking more classes behind us i know it's a lot of work to have all that like on us like on Eunice and I feel like these are a heavy burden for the for us because we were the first ones but I'm excited to like guide the next class and teach them what I've learned so far um, and see how like the class is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then hopefully like as we're even helping with teaching the the anesthetic students I think it just means that there'll be better care that is being given I'm not sure where all of us will end up at the end of the four years but at least even for the students that are passing through the program, because they only do 18 months, you know that wherever they are going, there's good care that's going to be taken there. So ultimately, like in the grand scheme of things, we are making it better for patient care. World, okay, not worldwide. <laughs> Kenya-wide, Africa-wide. <laughs> it very shortly will be, at least Africa-wide. Africa-wide. Yeah. 
which yeah. is still impactful because the need is there. So, yeah. so what is the difference bet- between a nurse anesthetist mm-hmm. and a doctor anesthesiologist? Okay, other than like the basic foundation, for a nurse anesthetist, it's a nurse who either did a diploma or a degree to get their nursing qualifications. And then they further specialize in anesthesia, which is normally like a post-diploma kind of training. Mm. It's just like adding on to whatever they've done already. But for us, uh, like you've finished your medical school, you've done your internship. So it's like a post-graduate, a full post-graduate training, which now accords you with now the specialist or the consultant qualification. Now... There's a lot of overlap in terms of what we cover, but I do feel like for the anesthesiologist, you go a bit deeper. Because again, like I said, like their training is 18 months. I think in some places, maybe two years more than a bit, two, maybe two years. But first, it's four years. And within those four years, you go much deeper into whatever they're learning. And there are a lot of other extra things that we do. Like regional is a big thing for anesthesiologists, which is not really covered by the nurse anesthetists. I think we go a lot deeper in like physiology, pharmacology, things like emergency management, crisis management. So you'll find like whenever there's a problem in theater, most of the time they are able to handle themselves, but most of the time like Dr. Greg or Dr. Matt have to be called in for leadership, like a leadership role. Like you're being trained to be the next line of defense once they can't go any further. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of what I've heard from from Dr. Barnett. I remember him saying that. So like the the KRNA, if things go well, they put them to sleep, they wake yeah. them up, you know, be Lashita. But you know, but then when things go wrong yeah. <laughs> then you then you, you need, need an next. anesthesiologist around. Yeah. yeah, and you think kind of broader. And so and like you're spending time in the ICU this month, you yeah. guys have to do kind of broad based mm. study. Yeah. When for us, like now even ICU care, like critical care, it's something we'll be revisiting all through our training. Mm-hmm. So we have units in that and we have rotations in that multiple times a year. That's not something that happens with the care units. They just require one month mm-hmm. um, rotating in the, in the ICU, then they fulfill that requirement. Mm-hmm. For us, like even exams is like a critical care exam. This isn't the main anesthesia exam, there's a pain exam. So I think the scope is a lot wider. Yeah, I'm very familiar with what happens in theater, but what are you doing, you know, in other parts of the hospital? You'll do these rotations where you're just learning generally, mm. but then what specifically do you do kind of outside of theater? Outside of theater. Okay, like in ICU, currently we just help out with like seeing the patients, working them up, helping with whatever work needs to be done for the patients. It's more like just the general work around the patients. But eventually we're hoping to help with the teaching because we normally have classes every afternoon. So helping with the teaching. And then once we're in a higher level of training, they want us also to like help rounding. So whatever we'll be doing in theater, we'll also be doing in ICU. Then of course now there's consulting, especially like for things like pain. Um, so paid management in the wards for guys who are either post-op or non-post-op. So sometimes you'll be called like, yeah, we've had this patient, we've given all the drugs we think we can give, but we don't know what to give next. And that's now when we come in, because now we can add additional modes of pain management. Like now the regional I was talking about earlier. 
so mainly it's that and then now just like pre-op assessments for patients who are in the ward um so that you know someone is not just brought to theater and we're like no this person can't go into surgery so it's normally easier to just see them in the ward assess them and then give the go ahead from there mm. yeah and when you're doing that what are you looking for i guess mm -hmm. what would why, why would you not take somebody into surgery um i think you're just making sure that you have a the best outcome you can get so if like you have an old patient with many comorbidities they are not fully optimized maybe they have hypertension they have diabetes they have kidney failure and all those things have not been managed well enough a lot of our drugs in theater have an impact on all these systems there are times when there'll be an emergency and you'll be like okay this patient is not a good candidate but it's an emergency but you always want to do what's best for the patient and also you don't want a surgeon to have a patient who will you know they lose on the table so i think it's normally easier to just advise them like okay your pressures are not okay we can do this to optimize them the sugars are not okay we can do this you know and so on and so forth um so you're just looking at things that could possibly go wrong with all the things i'm doing in theater and how i can optimize them before just to make sure that we have the best chance that we have. Mm. Yeah. I think that's the best, the simplest way I can put it. Mm. <laughs> that's great. Sounds like you're doing a lot of linking with other specialties. Mm. Kajabi is a little bit interesting how patients are labeled. Because mm. um, patients get a label, like somebody, you know, somebody especially will technically own a patient. Yeah. Um, so you say, oh, this one's this one's you know, general Good surgery, touch. or this one's orthopedic surgery, or this one intensive care. Yeah. But you, so you guys are just crossing over all of Everything. those specialties and trying to just anybody, either surgical or needing, I don't know your your expertise. Mm. You just go where you're needed. Exactly. You know, for them, like when you're not also, you're just thinking bone. You won't start thinking oh, this person might have pneumonia. It's never on your mind. But for anesthesia, because the drugs that you're using, the medication you're using, touches every single part of this person, um, I think you have to think more broadly. So sometimes you even open, you'll be looking for things. You know, a doctor will look at you and wonder, why are you looking at the chest? I'm, I'm, going, I'm just cleaning the leg, you know. But I'm like, no, this chest is going to, <laughs> it's going to hurt your leg, you know. So I think it really forces us to look more broadly and i think it's just one way of being um thorough you just want to be thorough enough so that you cover all bases because like we work very like we are partners in the theater with the surgeons so we want them their surgery to go well but we also want good outcomes for both sides so yeah we just make sure we cover the bases as they are doing mm. <laughs> whatever they are doing <laughs> yeah that's good yeah so what do you, you touched on this a little bit, but how do you think about medicine as ministry? Like how do, mm. how do those connect? Um, I think it's, you're in a point, you're at a point where you're meeting someone at a point of vulnerability. So for me, like I, I normally say like, as a medic, this person is completely like open to you physically emotionally you know like they are open and it's just an opportunity for you to um to be gentle to be kind to love them because it's not something their relatives can do for them um 
Jesus went around healing people and were just an extension of that ministry for him. Um, and then even just meeting that person at, like, I'm scared of going to theater, okay, this is how I can help you. Or, you know, like you're having all these issues with your comorbidities, this is how we can help you. Um, I think it's just meeting someone where they can't, where they can't pass and helping them walk through it. And I think that's just so, like, it's so powerful. I don't think we realize how much power we have and how impactful it is to people. Especially after now they are healed and they are better and they're like, wow, I could not have done this without you guys. So I think it's just like extending those fruits of the Holy Spirit to others in, and then eventually helping with healing. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Um, what, is the, what is the hardest, what's the hardest part of what you're doing right now, of your, of your study and your work? Mm, I mean, as we're getting more, uh, better and better with the learning and the working, obviously there's a higher responsibility we are feeling. <laughs> like we're getting more work, obviously, in theater. We're getting more opportunities to teach, more opportunities to kind of like go into research. So I feel like it's getting a bit heavier. Um, but I think the worst, worst, worst is when we have bad outcomes. Yeah, so either in, in theater or in ICU. Of course, ICU, it's a bit more, because the mortality rates are, are much higher. Um, so I think in theater, it's more painful. Like when a patient goes onto the table, they're fine, they're talking to you, and then something happens and, you know, things go south. I think it, it's very heartbreaking. Yeah. And, you know, you'll audit yourself, you'll audit the team, like we'll spend days, you know, repeating whatever happened, kind of just talking through it. And sometimes you don't get an answer. Um, sometimes you're just like, we don't know what happened. We don't know what we could have done. So I think that's the hardest bit. And then having even to explain to family, like this is what happened. We can't explain, like it's, ugh. yeah, it's emotionally exhausting. Um, but I mean, there are some things I think we just need to remember we're not in control of everything. You can't control everything. You can't save everyone. It's not really... We are there to help, but it's not our job to... <laughs> you can't save the whole world. Mm. But it's hard. Mm. Like, how do, you, how do you deal with, like, difficult things or difficult situations? Mm, I mean, we just talk with one another. I don't know. You just find a coping mechanism that works for you. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of debriefing we do as a team. I'm fortunate enough to be to have my husband here in Kijabi with me, so I love talking with him after such a bad experience. Um, then just small things like journaling, exercising. It's a great way to get things into perspective. But I think prayer, yeah, just remembering like it's not. I'm not in control of any of this. It's not in my hands. Um, and just releasing it to him, you know. Um, like we are servants of the Lord and how he uses us is how he uses us we are not the ones in control yeah what is um, I mean you're, you're underneath the broad umbrella of PAX mm -hmm. which, which now I think they need to add another A yeah. to their name they could be <laughs> but so uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that what, what is PAX and then why is it special that, that you guys are joining the mm -hmm. family 
group. First, what does it stand for? The Pan-African Association of Christian Surgeons. So they train uh, surgeons mainly, surgical specialties across the continent. And then once you're done with your training, usually you're bonded in a PACS-affiliated hospital where they see a need for that surgical expertise. So now as we've now fallen, and I guess they realized we also really need <laughs> anesthesiologists, so we've now fallen under that umbrella. Um, I think what they're doing is really special because it's a very different kind of, should I say, like, worldview they're presenting. Like, there are a lot of schools in the country that are training surgeons, anesthesiologists, and other specialties, but Pax has managed to incorporate our belief in Christ into the program. So it's part, it's not like an extra part of the curriculum, like it's inherently part of the curriculum. And I think it makes, for a believer, it makes a more holistic doctor, I believe. I think most universities tend to focus on the theory and the skills that someone has. Um, but we're realizing like, like I was saying earlier, there's a big emotional aspect to how you handle your patients. Um, there's a big emotional aspect to how your patients relate with you. And I think if that's not addressed, you could be the best surgeon in the continent, the best, I don't know, I don't know, speaker, I don't know. But patients can tell how your heart is from how you treat them, how you treat others. And I think for believers, that's where we have like, we have a stronger foundation when it comes to what is good and what is bad. Um, how should I treat others? Um, why is healing important? Why is medicine important? So I think it makes a better holistic doctor, which I think ultimately benefits patients and benefits other doctors even more. Yeah. I like that. Mm. What do you see, you just touched on it, Christian ethics. Mm -hmm. Like what are the difficult ethical choices that you guys regularly have to make Okay, in theater, I think the hardest is normally like, should we take someone to theater or not? Because I think sometimes you really have to evaluate like what's the risk versus benefit for this patient. Because there are a lot of patients who have a lot going on, you know, like every body system is just doing poorly and the surgeons are like, they need surgery and we're like, uh. so those are, that's one. But I think the hardest is normally in ICU. Because these are critical patients. Sometimes they are not just old, sick patients. They could be very young, very strong patients. You expect like young, healthy patients to do better. And I guess most of them surprisingly do so. But you'll have a number who deteriorate in, in ICU. And it's very difficult to, to talk to family and tell them like, we've reached a point where there's nothing much, like there's nothing further we can do. And even that, just making the decision to like stop machine support, I think that is the hardest. Like even bringing up the conversation with family is like, what words do you use? You know, I'm always in awe of like the console. I'm normally like, this is a skill that is given by the Holy Spirit because I don't know how they do it. It is so difficult. Patients' families will break down in front of you and you're meant to stay calm. You're meant to explain everything logically in a way that they'll understand. I see you, everything in ICU is complicated. So you're explaining to someone who is, has no medical knowledge. But I think just making those very hard decisions about this patient can't continue on the event or this patient can't do this or that 
um, and I'm sure even like in like people, they probably make such decisions as well. I can't imagine making that decision for a child. Like, it's it's not easy. I think we just pray for them that they just have wisdom how to deal with all those things because it's heavy. It's a heavy responsibility. Mm. It's interesting. There definitely is a skill aspect of it. Yeah. There's definitely a walking through it aspect. But I feel like the pro- probably one of the most important things is what you already have, mm-hmm. which is the sense of the heaviness and the sense of the sacredness of it and the sense that like this is hard. Yeah. And I think families can see that. They can sense when you care about their loved one. Yeah. They can tell that a mile away. Yeah. You know, in, in some situations, you know, words can't make it better. You know, yeah. they can they can bring some comfort but they can't make the hard situation go away but mm. you know just knowing that you care I think is very very comforting yeah. to them even the way you're talking about it now I think is I think is good because because you can you can learn skills but you can't learn heart yeah and I think you have heart mm, thank you. yeah um you know I I didn't think we were going to talk about this but you would be a good person to ask mm-hmm. because you've been around different parts of the hospital one of my things that I'm trying to fundraise for 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 this year end is actually trying to upgrade ICU equipment. Mm-hmm. What is it like up there? <laughs> uh, it's working. <laughs> I mean, that is like the you'll find one monitor, one part of the monitor is working, another bit is not. So, like maybe it's uh, measuring your blood pressure and measuring your saturation but the pulse is not I don't know just something um, so I mean there are times we have like malfunctioning of the monitors so sometimes you're not sure whether what it's speaking is really what is there they are coping with what they are <laughs> I'd say like I, I think the ventilators are similar right yes they work if they're working <laughs> they work if they're working and then you know like not all they they don't have one should I say like model, model of ventilators? Yeah. So they're like different ventilators. They all work differently, like setting them, each of them are set up differently. Like personally, there's like one I know how to set up and maybe two or three others I have no idea how to set up. So you really have to learn how to set up each of those machines. So I'd say like the, the staff there are working very well with what they have, but I would say it does need a bit of an upgrade considering like it's a high monitor like the monitoring should be perfect so i think it's somewhere where it would be worth investing in um you know in the world like guys guys are fine in the world <laughs> but in the hdus in the icus i feel the monitoring should be kept you know up to date um it just means that you, it's easier to make decisions it's easier to interpret things um, you're sure like if I look at a monitor, whatever is there is accurate. I don't have to think, hmm, let me bring the portable monitor and confirm because that happens a lot. We're like, hmm, let me just look for another monitor and just confirm that this is... So an upgrade would be very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's my hope because yeah, we just built these new operating theaters mm-hmm. and I knew the entire time this is a great project but if we do it, it will put a lot of stress on the other parts of the hospital, especially yeah. ICU, because you have all these patients going through, and then where do you put them afterwards? Yeah. If, th- if things aren't right in ICU, then you, you just hold them and pack you? Like, 
I mean, definitely. it depends. If they need ICU care, you keep them in theater. Because okay. that's where we have everything we need. Paco is limited. Like, mm. um, if I have an emergency in Paco, mm. it's very inconvenient to get, like, the drugs I need or the mm. equipment I need. But theater has everything. And, you know, like, you know, because you're the one in the room, you know where everything is. Personally, I'd wait in theater until they tell me we have space ready. Then I go directly. But that's not ideal either. It's not ideal, you're, yeah. You're trying to, yeah, you're using your surgical nurses to do exactly. ICU care, which mm, is... Not great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It means a lot of, like, instruction, a lot of, like, assurance, like, it's fine, we can do this, you know. But it's what we are. Mm. Yeah. For the volume of surgeries and things we're doing, how much... In an ideal world, how many, how much bigger would the ICU or the HDUs be? I don't think actually it's... I, ha, I have an opinion about mm. this, interestingly. I don't think it's a size issue. I think it's a type issue. So I know like in some hospitals abroad, there's a medical ICU and there's a surgical ICU. So all patients who are admitted from casualty with medical issues go to the medical ICU. But such the like theater has its own ICU somewhere mm. where only surgical patients go to that ICU. Which means like even the specialists who are there are different. You see, like in our ICU, a lot of them are either physicians, hospitalists, like there's more of a internal medicine background as opposed to other ICUs in the country where it's normally an anesthesiologist most of the time. Now for a medical ICU, I think a physician is perfect. For a surgical ICU, I think an anesthesiologist is perfect. So I think considering like we are training both, like we have both of that now, probably working on a surgical ICU would be ideal. One, because you don't need as many beds as a medical ICU, but also because it means like there's a specific staff for this kind of patients and specific staff for this kind of patients. The monitoring for medical is different for monitoring for surgical. And it also just means like, you don't have to think of, so should I do a 10 bed ICU? Should I do 15 bed ICU? You can do five, five and it would still be enough. Because that's 10 already and it's completely different. I don't know, it's just something we can look into. I'm not sure exactly how it's run. Cause I mean, that's staffing, that's monitor. It's a whole other <laughs> department altogether. I know the implication financially would be crazy, but you know, just in an ideal world, mm-hmm. it would work really well. Mm-hmm. Having like a separate ICU for such, for the surgeries. Mm-hmm. I think Dr. Matt and Greg have more experience with that from their facilities back home. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's different aspects of all these things. I mean, there's the, the like physical place and there's the equipping part of it. Mm-hmm. And you just hit on the, the one that's the hardest a lot of times is staffing. Stop. But in four or five years, like, because right now we only have two anesthesiologists on staff and they are barely able to run theater on their own. If we had four or five, five years from now, then you could actually have somebody doing the surgical patients, Mm -hmm. yeah. And whatever it looks like logistically, like you would have the, you'd have the person being able to do that. That's interesting. And it's true, because like, the good thing with Kijabi, because they're training um, like allied health professions, it literally has the capacity to staff any new department it can come up with. So like they have echoes who are in training. 
you could train echoes then just add like a specific theater or surgical aspect to the training that way there are echoes who now go to outpatient and mid icu then there's echoes specifically for surgical icu or you just train all of them to know everything then they rotate i don't know i don't know how it would work but like kijabi actually trains its own whatever it needs <laughs> yeah. so it's you know the potential is there like it's easy to kind of come up with something that's cool mm-hmm. it makes me happy i heard this from you yeah. i know i've heard people talk about it before mm-hmm. but i've never i've never fully understood okay this would be the implications and this is how it would yeah this is how it would need to work logistically because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i've always thought like for anesthesiologists we are defined as perioperative physicians so we do get a lot of um learning in like internal medicine but not as deep as a physician would go so even as i'm training to help out in icu there's a limit to how much i can i feel like i'd still do a lot of consulting because i'm like okay i have an idea of this but because i'm not a physician but as a perioperative physician for surgical patients i think i'd be perfect for such a mm. position um because now at that point everything i'd be doing i've learned about mm. you know yeah, yeah. Mm. that's really cool mm. mm-hmm. what have i forgotten to ask you anything else we should cover we're excited for the new group to come mm. do you know anything about them or is there a class for next year yeah they, they've already chosen two We've, we know about one. We're not sure of the second one yet. One is Kenyan, one is Ethiopian. Oh, great. Yeah, so we're excited. I don't know, it will be interesting to not just be the two in the department. So we're excited to get more people. Yeah, that's awesome. Because that is a big deal. Mm-hmm. We have, I know we, we currently have funding. I'm not sure where, they, where they've gotten to on the, on the PAC side, but I know we have, I know funding is available for, for you and Eunice to, to finish up. And I think the goal is to, the goal is to try and always be ahead on funding. Mm-hmm. That's better than behind. So I'm, I'm sure that, um, I'm sure there will be fundraising going on to try and make sure that a similar thing happens with them. That they always just stay ahead of schedule um, for, yeah, just to make sure that everybody gets through and does well. Mm-hmm. And then the long-term goal I think it's to to have what you guys are doing to have it happening in several other sites in Africa, which that'll be amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> thank Sunday. you.